learning. We've all experienced it, but how does it happen? More importantly, how do we create powerful learning experiences that change people's lives? In this podcast, we'll explore the world of adult career change education, from learning theories to classroom experiences to the kinds of people who make life-changing education possible. So come learn with us. This is the future of professional education, powered by HackerU. Hi, and welcome to the future of professional education. I'm Sean Dagoni-Clark, and if you listened to the first episode, you know that what we're trying to do here in this podcast series is to investigate the ways in which incredible transformative learning experiences happen, which is not exactly what we're going to be talking about today in the second episode. <laughs> We're going to be talking about a topic that is incredibly important to growing organizations and one that's definitely related to education and learning. So today, we'll be talking about how you can thrive in a hyper-growth organization despite, maybe even because of, the pressure and all of the stress involved in hyper-growth. I worked in a hyper-growth organization, Flatiron School, with my guest Christy Reardon. And since then, I moved on to another hypergrowth organization where I am now, HackerU. Christy, though, has much more experience than I do in hypergrowth, and so she can give some of her background on that. But the gist of this is that being in a growth organization is stressful, and it's hard, and it's just something that's not intuitive. And so why can't we figure out ways to thrive in it? So Christy's put a lot of thought into how to thrive in hypergrowth. So I'll turn this over to her. She can introduce herself, and then we can get going. Oh, and one more thing. We have a video recording of this going simultaneously with our audio recording. And if you're interested in watching the video, we're going to have a link to it in the liner notes in the podcast. Okay, Christy, all yours. Sure. Well, Sean, it's great to see you again. Um, for for those who might be listening in, we are actually 10,000 miles apart today, uh, even though we used to work uh, a few feet apart from each other in, in New York City. So I'm joining you from Sydney, Australia, hence the, the background on my, on my screen. Um, a little bit about my career. I have a bit of a quirky career. I actually started as in, in professional training. I was a CPA and worked at KPMG, and then I was a lawyer and always loved learning. I think that the single consistency throughout my entire career is that I was very curious and always sought a little bit of adventure. And for me, I found that through having many different kinds of opportunities in my career. So in my first decade, I actually changed jobs, I think about every two years, um, until I landed in a place called GLG. And GLG was one of the first, what we would today call venture-backed startups. This would have been back in 2004 when I joined the organization, and it just was a small company. But it was filled with people who seemed to be operating very differently to me than anyone I had met in the past. When I had worked in finance, I'd worked in politics, I'd worked in large accounting firms, and these people just moved really quickly. They had big ideas. They were changing things rapidly. They were challenging the, the kinds of assumptions that existed in a particular industry. And it turns out that's a growth organization. And over the time that I was there, I spent about a decade there. I came in as because they hired me because of my expertise in accounting and in law, and I helped build a practice area in, in those fields. But over a decade, I had an opportunity to just learn so many different things. I became a product manager and worked with engineers. That was my first entree into the world of software engineering. I became a salesperson. I worked on partnerships. I did marketing. I learned technology, and it was just an incredible, incredible experience. I think this is the reason why people love growth organizations, because they have such an intense opportunity to, to learn and be exposed to new things and be surrounded by the people who really love working in that kind of an environment as well. So that company became quite a bit bigger over the time that I was there. I joined at about 40 people. And by the time I left a decade later, we were 2,000 people. We had expanded to, I think, 30 cities around the world and just explosive revenue growth and all of the, the good things and the bad things that happen with that kind of experience. 
And so I learned that I, I loved that world. I really loved it. And as a company becomes bigger, it changes a lot. And it's something that we'll probably talk about a little bit in our conversation today. But I wanted to go back to an early stage company again. I discovered that I missed it. I missed those, those building block days. And so I, I looked around New York City to try to find an organization that I thought I could really contribute to. This was about 2014. And I discovered the two founders of Flatiron School. And at the time, there were, um, I think there were about eight people that were working at Flatiron School. It's funny to think about today. The notion of a coding boot camp was essentially unheard of. And I think there had been about 60 students that had gone through the program. So the very, very basics and fundamentals of the concept of a coding boot camp had uh, started to be proven out, and they were ready to start scaling the organization. They had taken their first round of venture fundraising, and when I met with the founders, we thought it was really a, a great fit that I could come in and help them build the organization. So I spent the last six years at Flatiron School, scaling from that small uh, early idea into I think, 10 locations across the United States, into the UK, and I'm over here in Sydney because I was beginning the expansion into the APAC region as well. Yeah, absolutely. Good, good, good summary of the background. Um, the uh, you talked about growth organizations, and the the you you sought out Flatiron because you were looking for something to grow, and I had a very different reason for coming to Flatiron, I didn't even know what a growth organization was and was looking for, you know, great culture and interesting work and all of that. But I didn't know what to expect at all. And, and I've told you this story in the past, but the, the first few days I was kind of in the mindset of, I don't know what I just got myself into. <laughs> this is crazy. It's like drinking from the fire hose I feel overwhelmed. I can't keep up. It was all of that stuff that was just really weighing on me and making me think that maybe this had been one of the worst decisions that I had ever made. And I, <laughs> on either the third or the fourth day I was there, you did this talk that uh, about thriving in a growth organization. That's the reason, obviously, that we're talking today. And um, it was just... it. it that moment, that hour just completely shifted my whole experience from feeling overwhelmed to feeling like, oh, this is expected. I can handle this. And so I, I, I've thanked you in the past for this, but also again today, thank you so much for making, for me and for others, for norming the experience because it's so hard to especially if you're not familiar with a growth organization, but even if you are, it's so hard to feel really good about this sort of constant running and keeping up and all of that. And, and to turn that around and make it a really positive thing the way you have is really helpful. Well, thank you for that. Um, you know, one of the questions that you, you have asked me is why did I, why did I create this talk? And yeah, I think it's what you just illustrated is very much the reason why I did it. I have spent, now, almost 20 years operating in, in growth organizations. So I, I not only know that I, I like the chaos and, and I like creating calm within the chaos for, for other people, but I also know that it's new to pe to most people, like it was new to you. And, you know, we're in a we're in an economic transformation where the speed of change is accelerating for everyone, whether you're opting into it like I did 20 years ago, or whether you're getting thrown into it or drawn into it. And so these kinds of experiences are becoming more common for people, whether they want to admit it, whether they want to join it or not. And so helping people understand what it's like to be in this kind of an organization and how it can be... It can be both equal parts exhilarating and exhausting. It's a very different kind of experience. And even for you, you're someone who has been in education for years and you have, you have built your career in training teachers and really thinking about what it's like to be a high performing educator. 
And, and yet some of these things were, were new to you, but they were also tied to concepts that I think you know very well, which is how do we help humans perform at their highest potential? And when I think about a lot of the principles that I've tried to draw into this talk, it's almost like we all know what it's like to be at peak physical performance. We know how, how athletes get to peak performance. They have a coach and that coach pushes them and challenges them and creates moments of pressure so that they can continue to train and become better physical athletes. When I think about a growth organization and I think about an exceptional teacher, we are all trying to help people perform at their best. And that's through these cycles of growth. But in those cycles of growth, we're actually applying pressure, just like an elite athlete would do in training someone. But we don't really talk about that. We don't talk about what it takes to go through these intensive learning experiences to grow and change really rapidly. And so that's what I was really trying to do is try, try to help people understand the positives of this is that you're going through these intensive learning experiences, just like I was describing in the early part of my career when I got exposed to all of these things. It's an incredible opportunity to come through that sort of training, but it's really hard and it's really difficult. And so normalizing that experience for, for people, just like we've societally normalized what an elite athlete does, we just we haven't done that for working professionals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm sure you've heard from others just how helpful that was to them as well. Um, you talked about some of the the parallels between the thriving in a growth organization and helping someone learn. One of those that comes to mind for me is the notion of those different zones. Um, and I wondered if we can just sort of get into some of the things that you felt that you feel are some of the more important things in this talk that you gave. Um, things like the growth curve, the panic zone versus comfort zone. Um, but in particular, that zone thing, I've actually described when I teach teachers about um, the zone of proximal development, I describe the comfort zone and the zone of proximal <clears throat> development and the out of reach zone. And <clears throat> then to make that a little bit easier, describe the out of reach zone as the panic zone and the comfort zone is the comfort zone and the zone of proximal <clears throat> development is that place that you want people to be where it's just a little bit outside their sphere of understanding and ability, but it's close enough to what they can do that a teacher can help them get there. And it feels very much like that's what the way that you've described the, the panic zone versus the stretch zone, as well as just applying pressure, which we'll talk about. But what, what are those things that you feel are really important elements in the talk that you gave? Yeah, maybe I can just give you a, a real, real, real quick rundown of some of the key areas. I'd also say that, that I like how you're, you're drawing out um, the fact that there's parallels between a learning institution and a high growth institution. And it's the reason why so many high performers want to be in a high growth organization is because they have that opportunity to learn so rapidly. This normalization process is so crucial within a high growth organization because everybody thinks their particular experience is unique. When you came into Flatiron School, those feelings that you talked about, that you thought it was your own unique experience, that you didn't belong and you'd made a mistake, this is exactly what happens when someone's going through an intensive learning experience and, and helping people understand that everyone goes through this. And in fact, it is the way that you go through a deep learning experience. So let me, um, let me maybe share some of my slides to help illustrate yeah, this. Great. Um, so the first thing that I really tried to do is set a baseline and I actually talked a little bit about uh, how the economy is changing today. If you um, if you think about it, can you see my my screen? Uh, yeah. Okay. So the baseline is how the economy is changing today. Everybody has to increase the pace with which they're learning. So this is sort of the the old economy that we were a factory line, and it was you learned once and then you were done. You did the same job for the rest of your life. But the new economy is very very different. 
And you have to have an ability to transform your knowledge, your understanding, your skill set, and your mindset. And so this is really setting a baseline of understanding that the world is changing really rapidly. You have to learn faster. And this means your mindset is more important than ever. And so this is sort of a baseline that I really wanted everybody to understand. It's not just about your choice. This is the world around you. And what is going on within you is absolutely fundamental to your own ability to be successful. And so these were some of the, the, the mindsets that we very actively tried to cultivate within our employees, within our managers, within, within our leaders. So that's sort of the, the baseline. And then the second thing that I would say is, I think, quite important, and I feel like this, this resonated, is helping people understand the process of growth within an organization. So I used to say this story or a little little analogy. Imagine if you have a five-year-old kid. I think your, your kids might be a little bit older than this, but remember when they were Six, four. pretty close. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. Remember when they were four or five, and then fast forward to 10, and think about the clothes that they were in when they're four or five, and the clothes they're in when they're 10, and imagine if they were still in those clothes when they're 10. Everything would break, right? <laughs> The the t-shirt rips, it's up to the top, the pants are short, you you know, all the things, right? That's what happens in an organization. Because we're moving so rapidly, everything breaks. And when you said, Sean, you came into Flatiron School, you said, it seemed like chaos. What was going on? It was complete. Well, of course, it was chaos. And this is the one part exhilarating, one part exhausting. So it's important, I think, for people to understand, here's how a growth organization operates differently when things are moving really fast and you're cycling through things. So what happens in the beginning, you have to create something from nothing. This is what entrepreneurs, this is what startups do. And that means in that phase, there's total ambiguity. You don't have any rules. There's no playbook. Nobody's coming to you. Picture that factory, right? The the Ford, the GM, 1950, where somebody's telling you every little thing you have to do every single day and you do it for the next 50 years. Does not apply here, right? Does not apply at all. Creation, you have to use an entirely different set of skills to think about how am I going to create a new process? How am I going to create a a new pathway of communication, a new team meeting? Creation doesn't just mean creating a new company. Things are created all the time. But when you're creating something new, totally different problems, totally different skill sets that need to be utilized. Then in Make It Repeatable, once something is, is created, then you have to figure out how can I do this over and over and over and get the same results on the other end? That's when you start thinking about processes, role specialization. Then you have to think about how can I scale this? How can I take it from one location to 10 locations, from 10 employees to 100 employees? And then, of course, you want to make it even more efficient over time. But what's interesting here is that if you take these cycles, these cycles repeat at an individual level, at a team level, at a department level, at an organization level, at a city level, depending on the stage of growth within your company. And what happens is you might have a person who is doing everything end to end within a a department. And now all of a sudden, you have to figure out how to scale that process. So now you need to take some work away from that person and you need to specialize it. And guess what? That feels bad. It feels personal. It feels like you're, 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 taking, you're, you're punishing someone who's been this incredible player. These are all the kinds of things that happen inside an organization that are normal and expected. But if you don't understand how this is, how this is operating, it can feel very personal and very awful, either because you're overwhelmed and you don't know what to do about it, or because it feels like somebody's actually punishing you for, for your, your, your success within the organization. So that's sort of the, the, the next thing is, is understanding how the organization operates and things breaking means that you've actually been successful. You've been successful in, in driving growth. So some of these things are actually a little bit upside down. Um, can I keep going? Yeah, please. Yeah. Okay. Um, then the next thing I would, I would uh, talk about probably is feelings. Feelings are so powerful. They are the fuel 
or the molasses in an organization. You know those days where you you wake up and you bounce out of bed, you can't stop thinking about what you're doing, or those other days when you just can't motivate yourself to go in and meet with your team. Feelings are absolutely crucial, and they're also indicators of what's actually going on in a fast-moving, high-growth organization that is very actively engaged in, in learning and changing. So this is one of my favorite slides. This little illustration, I think, says so much about growth experiences. And if you want to create something great, and you shouldn't think about something great as uh, it just has to be building an entire company and being a founder, you should think about yourself. Think about how you develop yourself and your identity over the course of your life and your career. Think about an individual project. Think about a year, right? 2020. Um, we've certainly been in the swamp of despair in 2020. But the idea of this, right. <laughs> yeah, the idea of this is that if you want to create anything great, you have to actually go through something challenging, right? Go back to this elite athlete analogy. People don't become elite athletes by just waking up one day and running really fast, right? You have to go through something that's rather difficult. And so if you imagine a project that maybe went sideways a few times before you actually got it done, you kind of start out and you're like, ah, oh, this is going to be great. I'm so excited. Somebody's finally given me this thing that, that acknowledges my ability, my potential. And you get into it a little bit further and like, ooh, this is going to require a lot more time than I've been allocated. And I don't know how to do a lot of things. This is what you were thinking when you showed up at Flatiron School, right? Um, and then you slide down into the swamp, the swamp of despair. You're down in the muck. This is when you can't get out of bed in the morning. This is when you're like, maybe I should just quit this job. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's, that's the moment. That's the moment when you need to engage and reach out to somebody else. You need to talk to a colleague. You need to talk to your manager. You need to talk to your partner. You need to have somebody who can help you problem solve. You need to help have somebody who can help you build your confidence. This is what teachers do every single day for their students. This is what managers should do every, maybe not every day, but every week for their, their team. And eventually you find your way out of this one foot in front of the other. And then you look back and you say, geez, that was the thing I'm most proud of that I've ever done. And this is how it works. But the problem is, imagine if you put a line from this will be fun to hmm, and then hey, um, that's what people see. That's a waterline. And from the outside in, you look at what somebody else is doing and you think that was easy for them because they're so good. It, it doesn't work that way for anyone. Anyone who's truly challenging themselves to do something really hard goes through this kind of emotional journey. And so that's that process of normalizing what growth actually feels like and mm -hmm. looks like. And you have to get down into the swamp, and then. Well, and um, I love the I love that you're 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 saying use sort of the resources around you to pull yourself out of the swamp. That it's it doesn't have to just be you. And I I remember seeing that in, in when you presented this the first time I saw it, and just going, oh wow, yeah, that's right. There's a lot of really great people here, and I can get help, and I have my family, and so. It, it just, all of that, like you said, it just makes it more manageable. Well, one of the things I try to get people to do is to, everybody can come up with at least one story in their lives where they know they had a really deep personal growth experience. And I'm not just talking about work. It might've been, might've been in university. It might've been a lot of people talk about moving to a new city on their own. Some people talk about a health event that happened with a family member or themselves, career changes. Everybody has an experience. And if you can connect back to that experience and think about what happened, what did it feel like as you went through it? Who did you talk to? I've never once heard someone share a personal growth story where they haven't talked about other people that they've connected with who helped them along in the journey. It's absolutely crucial. And it's funny how we almost need to be given permission. Like the, the story you just shared about having so many other colleagues around that could help you and you could talk to, we almost need to be given, give our, give, given permission to ourselves to say, it's okay to ask for help. 
it's okay to ask somebody out for coffee and say, hey, these are some things that I'm thinking with and struggling with. I just like to talk about it. Uh, but everybody should be given permission to, to do that. And yeah. one of the things that I, I try to talk about is driver state emotions and dragger state emotions. And if you think about your personal energy level as your fuel, right? Your fuel level is up or your fuel level is down. These things on the left tend to happen when we're at a, a stage of evolution inside the company where things are working, right? We're either at the, at the top end of that swamp curve or the, the tail end of that, of that swamp curve and things are feeling good. This is the exciting and exhilarating part. But then things get hard, right? The chaos deepens, the team's not talking to each other, um, somebody's maybe in the wrong role or they're in over their head, they need some help. And you start having these dragger state emotions of I'm frustrated, somebody's taking something away from me, or I'm afraid that I'm not valued, or I'm just exhausted because I, I, I've been working on this for so long. I need to take a break and I've not given myself a break. These are all very, very common and typical emotions. And I oftentimes think about building a growth culture as being a team sport in that you have to start with yourself but you're developing yourself as you go. And so we have to all try to help each other. And this is team members looking out for each other and trying to spot when it looks like somebody's really down. They've been really down for a day or two. Managers have an absolutely crucial role to play in this and certainly leaders as well, because sometimes things aren't just happening at the team level. They might be happening at the organization level. Yeah. Well, and that, it feels like that's something that sort of uncertainty and the negative feelings that, that can come up. Um, I wonder if you can talk about how, first, how, how others, what kind of advice you would give others to cope with that kind of uncertainty in a growth organization, because yeah, reaching out to people is important, but what else can people do to cope with that uncertainty? And then what do you do? Um, mm. I mean, you mentioned that you've gone through high growth and change and how do you cope with that sort of uncertainty? Um, you know, you mentioned this little, this little, uh, this grid, the comfort zone, stretch zone, panic zone. So the, the, the first thing I would say is you have to recognize growth for what it is. It's, that's the reason why normalization of this is so important, is you have to be able to diagnose what's going on and then decide what you're going to do about it. And you know this, this, little, this little chart shows that if we want to have peak performance, we need to actually apply pressure. But that feels a little bit counterintuitive, right? You, sometimes we would think about our, our managers and our leaders' job is one to clear the way for us, to, to make it easy for us to do our jobs. But I actually think uh, our, our managers and our leaders' jobs are to apply a little bit of pressure, just like you would probably say a teacher's job is to apply pressure. Because if you leave someone in their comfort zone or their boredom zone, they're not going to learn anything. They're not going to change. They're not going to evolve. And our, our jobs as managers, our jobs as leaders is to actually push somebody. So the first thing is to, to understand as an individual, I want to be stretched. I want to grow. I want to change and evolve. And therefore, having some pressure applied to me is not necessarily a bad thing. So that's that normalization process that's absolutely crucial as an individual to, to understand that. We also have to realize that you dip out into that panic zone, right? And that's, this is sort of the, the inverse view of the swamp, right? Where we're constantly trying to manage that maybe if we're in the panic zone, we actually need to dip back into the comfort zone for a while. So I think it's, it's, there's a lot of self-diagnosis that has to take place as individuals. And you can't really self-diagnose until you understand how this works. And that's really what this talk was meant to do is to help give people a toolkit to say, here's what's going on in the organization. Here's what's going on with you as an individual. Now that you have the tools, do the work for yourself, but then you also should have and expect from us as an organization help and support from your manager, right? So this should be an ongoing conversation surfaced and driven by an individual because nobody knows you better than you. 
but you should be able to expect having that help and support from someone else. So I really do put a lot at the individual level. And I think about that with, with myself, but I also would say sometimes we can see ourselves better through someone else's eyes. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I have a, an amazing husband and partner who tolerates a lot of, of what I bring home from my day-to-day work. And he's incredibly helpful in, in seeing some of the experiences that I'm having that it might be difficult for me to process, even though I've, I've spent 20 years in doing this. <laughs> yeah. I love the, that you're bringing in that need for a manager to help guide and that it's, it, it just feels, I mean, obviously it just, it makes sense, but I, I don't know that a lot of managers would see their role necessarily as applying pressure, but also gauging the pressure and gauging the, the way that somebody responds to it. And also just what are the needs of the employee? And I love thinking about it that way. It, like I said, it ties very closely to the zone of proximal development because the, it, like I said, there's a comfort zone in there and there's an out of reach zone in there and they are definitely related to pressure. And that stretch zone is pressure being applied, not necessarily by KPIs or something in a classroom, but by I don't know, grades or new projects or new ideas or whatever, that's pressuring someone out of their comfort zone. And and I remember you've talked about this before that you, you can't really have high performance without pressure. Yeah, that's right. This is very much inspired, by the way, from classical education pedagogy. The point about the point you make about managers is is a really good one. Managers are absolutely crucial to a, a healthy functioning, high growth organization, because they are really the key touchstone to all of the individuals on a regular, they're the coaches, right? They're the coaches of the elite athletes because they have the one-to-one relationship. And they absolutely must see their job as managing this push into stretch, pull back from panic, occasionally push down into comfort zone, right? If you if you put this into terms of a typical manager, you might say, um, it seems like maybe you need to take some vacation time because I was looking at your your record and I see you haven't taken any time off for six months. You need to take a break, right? That's pull back into the comfort zone. Or uh, you've had an exceptional review this year. And I really want to understand what areas of personal development are important to you. Okay, I'm going to go find some projects within the organization where you can practice those skills. And I'm thinking about the next level of promotion for you. And I'm going to help create the opportunity for you to get there. Oh, you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed because I've given you this tough assignment because I know you're so capable. And my job is to help you get to peak potential. Let me give you a little bit of coaching on how you can manage that, right? These are all classic things that a manager should be doing um, that really apply into this model. And it's really fundamentally about learning. Yeah, yeah. It, it strikes me that one of the things that can fall apart in high growth is really high quality communications and sort of solution oriented communications. And uh, I, I wonder if you can talk about how to maintain the kind of high quality communications that make high growth really successful and also just how to maintain positive relationships with others when you're under stress like that. Mm. It's such a big topic um, and, and, a, <laughs> and a really good one. I think um, if, if feelings are the leading indicators, put your KPI hat on for a moment, if feelings are the leading indicator of funk in an individual, a team, or, or an organization of, of challenges that need to be addressed in, in a high-growth organization. Um, communication is the thing that prevents it, prevents problems, or fixes problems, right? So it's absolutely crucial. And one of the things that I've noticed in high-growth organizations is it attracts really high-potential people who can have a very uh, aggressive communication style. 
but it also attracts people who might be more introverted and have a more um, a softer communication style. So these things can really bump up against each other in having people almost like ships in the night um, who who are, are not communicating particularly well. And the, the thing that I, I used to try to get people to understand is that, you know, the way in which we communicate has enormous ability to create feelings inside people and, and literally fuel to raise your energy level. This the same concept we were talking about earlier of driver, drivers or dragger states. The way you talk to somebody can create an energy level in them or just zap it right out. And, and I think we probably can all think back to a meeting when we walked out of it and felt like we had the wind knocked out of us. Or we walked out of a meeting and we just thought, I can't wait to work on this project. I've got so many ideas. And ask yourself, why is that? Why does one meeting go that direction and the other is, is the opposite? And I don't think it's just about the challenge ahead of us, because sometimes we can have a project ahead of us that we know is incredibly difficult, but we're still incredibly challenged and, and motivated to, to take it on. So I used to do this little um, Star Wars bit where I would do the the, the two theme songs, of, <laughs> you know, the uplifting and then the Darth Vader song. So I, I won't do it here, but right. I just I mention it because I think we can probably all uh, do that song in our heads. And, you know, you have feelings that emerge from that music. You have feelings. If it's if it's the main theme song, you're like you're energized. You're like I'm ready to take this on. I'm feeling so excited. I'm I'm feeling confident. And then the Darth Vader song creates these feelings of dread, of fear. Starts to connect back to those feelings that we were talking about a few minutes ago of the driver and dragger state feelings. And we know that music has that ability to create those feelings in us. But I think we oftentimes forget that words have just as much power to, to do that. And yet we use them freely and we maybe don't think about the consequences. <laughs> and the, the, the challenge is in when, when you're in that state where pressure has been applied to you, because this is, remember, this is what we're doing in a growth environment, right? We're picking up the speed, we're applying pressure, we're doing it deliberately. All of a sudden we've created natural stress within the individual, within the team, within the department, within the organization. And when there's stress, we sometimes don't use the best version of ourselves. So we have to think a little bit about what we're doing and how we're behaving. And sometimes we have to train ourselves on the kind of communication we're using in that very moment of stress when it might be most difficult for us to do. So I also used to categorize these in, in driver state, the kind of communication style that will actually increase our velocity as a team, allow us to move more quickly together and increase our energy. And those kinds of communication styles that will actually just draw us all down, deplete our energy and slow our ability down to, to or slow our ability to move as a team. So. You know, on the whole, these so there's a number of things here that you can you can look at and, and maybe think about that meeting that went sideways and what people were doing in that meeting. And, and maybe they were being aggressive, being escalating. They were shaming someone, condescending someone. Right. These are things that we do when we're stressed. But at, at the end of the day, we have to decide, are we using solution oriented language or problem oriented language? Those are the two most crucial things to think about in an organization. So if you accept that in a growth organization, that five-year-old to 10-year-old and everything ripped and torn, it's too short and is broken, that's what's happening in a high growth organization. So you know you're going to have problems, right? The question is, once you've identified that, what do you do about it? And so can you use language like, how might we? There is a, I know there is a solution we can achieve together versus this is broken. You didn't do your job right. I, I don't, I don't like the result that came to my desk here, right? There's a very different tone and choice of words that we can use when we engage with each other. So this is a practice that has to be developed and it's not just about being positive. It's, it's not being unrealistic about the kinds of challenges that might exist. But it's about saying together we can solve these things. Yeah, it's well said. 
the uh, the Star Wars thing is funny because my ten year old is into Star Wars all of a sudden and just out of the blue, I don't know, a couple of months ago, she said, let's, let's watch Star Wars together. I, I tried years ago and it didn't work and she so got good. into Harry Potter instead and it killed me a little bit inside because I was all into Star Wars when I was a kid, but <laughs> Harry Potter is pretty good too. But, um, she just recently got into this. And so we, um, we've been watching this and and I remember there was this, I forget what the moment was, but it was, I think in episode one somewhere or maybe episode two, where there was suddenly the music, uh, the, the empire music when a good character was on the screen and she, it created this instant cognitive dissonance for her where mm. she's going, wait, what's is, is Darth Vader here? What's happening? And it, it's, it was it was incredible to watch just how quickly that created feelings, like you said. It's it's amazing. And I oftentimes thought about my job as a leader in a room was to diffuse. You know, you can use um, heat, I'll call it heat, in a meeting to to create good energy. So, you know, you have to be thoughtful about it. But when things are tense and things are difficult, which they invariably will become because this is, this is what we're doing, right? We're, we're growing. Um, sometimes you, you have to diffuse and you have to think about, okay, there's too much heat in this room. It's no longer productive. My job is to figure out how to diffuse this in a very healthy way. Those are very sophisticated skills to be developed as, as leaders and as managers. But this notion of what you're describing of energy um, I'm not. I'm not sort of a new age kind of. I'm from Iowa, so <laughs> we don't have we don't have a lot of new age people in in Iowa. So I'm, I know I'm talking a lot about feelings and and energy and all of that. But um, we all have an energy level, and one of the key questions that I began to to ask my direct reports, and I think many of them began to use for for their team, is how's your energy level today? When I would have a one on one with somebody. I would say a scale of one to 10, it's such a fast question. How's your energy level scale of one to 10? One being, you know, you're not getting out of bed. 10 being you're, you're, you're so elated, maybe you're getting, you're married or something like that. But um, a couple of things happened that I thought was really interesting is people had different baselines. You know, my baseline is about a seven. I don't run at a nine or a 10. If I hit a five, that's low for me. That's low. I need to course correct something. And it's a simple question that really helps an individual dip down in in a snap moment, not try to understand any of the reasons why, but how am I doing? And your energy sort of encapsulates just how you feel at a, at a high level. And so what was interesting for me in asking that question is I was able to start getting a baseline for my team. And I could also get an understanding of when it varied and when it varied, I could then ask a question, what's going on? Tell me what's going on. And then I could do my job, which was helping to sort of diagnose and prevent or potentially fix things that might be going on in the organization. But it, it was such an easy way to kind of sum all of this stuff up when things are changing so rapidly and even help people go through that process of self-diagnosis. Because asking yourself that question in the morning, what's my energy level? How am I doing? Why has it changed? It's really important. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's great to help someone do that. I mean, it's it's so important to know that nobody knows you like yourself, like you said. And um, to be able to to do that kind of self-analysis is, is really powerful. I'm wondering if you had the opportunity to work with a growth organization on their culture, on how to improve their culture, what would come to mind as something that you would work on in order to improve a company's culture? Well, I think you get a lot of leverage out of your leaders and your managers. So I, I would probably think about those two groups. And, you know, we talked, we talked a little bit about managers as being really the lifeblood of an organization. I think this, this process of, you know, I'll flip back to, to this, this slide here, um, applying pressure to help people achieve peak performance knowing how to use a full toolkit of things as a manager 
to, to really be able to bring your, your teams through this process is absolutely crucial. It, it allows you to retain the best people in the organization. Um, and then I think with, with leaders, you know, it's, it's uh, obviously leaders are also managers, but leadership is, is different. I think, you know, leaders set the tone in an organization in, in such a crucial way, all the way from the mission, vision, strategy to the, the day-to-day practices within the organization. We were talking about communication a little bit earlier, and I think leaders role model communication inside the organization. And everyone will look to your leaders to understand what is expected, what is permissible. And and really, that's the beginning, leaders and managers, that's the beginning of your culture. And the way in which they communicate is everything. And one of the things that I think is is very challenging for, for leaders to do is to figure out how to vary a communication style for the particular moment, we were talking a little, a couple minutes ago about an overheated meeting. What do you do with that? Do you escalate it as a leader? Do you do you, do you encourage it because there's actually something really you're finally getting your team to have healthy healthy tension and and surface something that was in the organization, or do you need to diffuse it because it, it, it's getting toxic? Right. Yeah. Understanding the 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 differences in what is needed at what moment in time. But also, who do you have in your team and in your organization? And are you creating, we talk a lot today about inclusive environments. It begins with inclusive communication and understanding that people need different kinds of environments to be able to communicate at their best. Some people are quiet and reflective. Some people are in the moment. Some people love to be argumentative. Some people are very collaborative. And the truth of the matter is, it's not like black or white is one is better or the other. And some people utilize all these these different styles at at different times. As a leader, you have to be capable of drawing on all of these communication styles, but also understanding your organization and creating the right opportunity for people to engage in the way that they can be the best version of themselves. Hmm. Yeah. What, uh, I guess, what role does an individual contributor then have? I mean, it's not, obviously, you're not saying that it's all on the manager to make this work, but where would you see the individual contributor needing to focus in order to help improve the culture as well? Hmm. I think it's really important for people to raise their voice, to find their voice, and find a, a pathway to express in a solution-oriented way what they think can be done to improve the culture. I so value people raising their voice to say, this is happening. I think we can do better. I have some ideas. So, so crucial because, you know, we try, as leaders, we try to have eyes and ears and following everything, but we're imperfect people right? We can't see everything. We can't know everything. And if it's not being surfaced to us, and sometimes it might be being surfaced in one way, but it's not getting to us, right? So I think that's, it's, it's absolutely crucial to raise their voice and also, you know, em- embody the culture, be the culture and uh, actually start doing the version that you think can be a better version of the, of the culture uh, and engage in it and, and uh, embody it for the company. Yeah. But it comes back to that solution oriented thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you obviously have had a, a moment of growth in the last, I guess, roughly last year, right? You you moved over from New York City to Australia, which is, I think, perhaps the largest move that one can make <laughs> in terms of distance. And the side of the earth literally opposite sides of the earth. And so you, you had this moment of intense personal growth and change where you moved to Australia. Um, you ended up leaving Flatiron School. You ended up staying in Australia. And can you just talk about how you approach your own personal growth and your own personal change? And have, have you just become such a, a Zen master at this that <laughs> 
it doesn't even affect you and it rolls off or, or what do you do? No, I pull my hair out still, Sean. Uh, no, <laughs> um, no I, I think, you know, you asked me this question once before and I, I, I love good questions. And I think this was, this was a particularly good one because it has staying power. Um, yeah. good, good questions will, will remain in your mind and you keep turning them over and over. And at, at the last time you asked me this question, I think I said, anyone who is continuing to challenge themselves will go through these cycles that we've been describing on, on this, in this conversation, which is you, you begin to have self-doubt, you, you, you begin to regret your decision, you think maybe you shouldn't have done it, you need to reach it. These cycles, right? That, that's normal. Otherwise, you're not actually growing. So there, there isn't such a situation as I've had an incredible learning and growth experience and there was no challenge involved in it. It just doesn't work that way, right? We, we know that from, from you know, education research. Um, so I think what's different for me is <clears throat> I very much understand that if, if you can call this a practice or something that we've been talking about in, in this conversation, I understand, uh, I understand all the mechanics of this. I have a pretty strong toolkit. So I think I recognize things for what they are probably earlier than maybe some other people do. Um, and I also, I love it. I love growing and changing and evolving. So for me, that's also my motivation to, to go through it. Just like, you know, I keep connecting back to exercise. There's a reason why people love exercise, right? They get a high from actually, there's good positive endorphins or endorphins that we know are released in your body when you exercise. We know it's good mm -hmm. for you. Well, I fundamentally believe that learning is the same thing. It's just more for your mind than it is for, for your body. And so I have that experience in me that gives me the motivation to go through these, these cycles. And I also have the experience to diagnose and recognize what's going on and, uh, and, a, and a developed toolkit, if you will. Um, but a little bit about my year. Gosh, it's almost hard to even know where to begin. <laughs> it's been the craziest year. So um as you mentioned at, at Flatiron School, our, our next phase of growth was to come into APAC. So I made the decision to, to come over here. Um, we took about six months to transition the leadership team in the US and I was building up my team um, that we were going to be based in, in Sydney. I sold my apartment in New York City that I'd lived in for 10 years. I, my husband left his uh, partnership in his law firm and we moved our three kids over here. It was a big, it was a big decision. And we landed in Australia in September of 2019. So just barely over a year ago. And at the time, uh, WeWork, which was our parent company, we were a division of, of WeWork. I don't think anybody missed the news about what happened with WeWork's <laughs> faded people IPO. You may there have were, heard of this. <laughs> yeah, there were two people that didn't read that story. <laughs> um, so there, the, the IPO actually was uh, started two weeks before I moved to Australia. So pretty much immediately from the time I hit the ground here, um, it was clear the IPO was not going well. It wasn't clear just how badly it was going to go. But um, needless to say, I ended up spending my first 90 days uh, working with the team in the U.S. to restructure and scale back our U.S. operations in line with what WeWork was doing, and ultimately made the recommendation to the, uh, the the founder and CEO of Flatiron School that I did not think we should start any expansion here in APAC, given the financial situation. Right after of, you moved. <laughs> right after I moved. Right after I moved. So, and he was incredibly gracious. He said, "Do you want to come back? Um, can we create some kind of you know unique opportunity for you in Australia?" and you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a leader of growth organizations. That's, that's my jam. And I said, I, it doesn't make sense. And I can't uproot my family that I just moved here. So I made the decision to resign, which was really gut-wrenching to do. And at the time, I had no plan. And the biggest risk for me, I was less afraid about what would I do next professionally, but I was more worried about the fact that I was here on a sponsored visa through WeWork. And if I did not figure out how to have a right to be in this country, I was facing deportation in 90 days. So that was crazy. Jeez. And uh, 
I figured I'd figure it out. Um, and then I had a few, you know, backup plans for, for what I would do. And then it turned out that the Australian government was just kicking off a new global talent program right around the time this was all happening um, to attract senior international tech talent that could help with their uh, economic transformation into new economy types of, of work. And so I was the first one in North America who was granted permanent residency on this program. And within 90 days of arriving in Australia, I had resigned from my job and was granted permanent residency. <laughs> so it was a bit crazy. Wow. No, that's intense. I mean, what a, I, I can't imagine change on that order. We moved this summer and that feels like massive change. <laughs> but we moved 15 miles, 20 miles north. Um, I wonder if, if you're able to, I know you've been working on some stuff since you left Flatiron and with this, um, the, the work you're doing in Australia. Can you, can you just share some of what you've been working on? Because it sounds really interesting. So I had a little bit of time to to pause and think, but you don't have a lot of that time when you're leading a growth organization. And Australia, as you might remember, had just come off of the bushfires, uh, the, the worst bushfire season that they had ever seen. Uh, it was pretty traumatic. Uh, again, I had been in country for three months and the skies were black for days on end. Um, you, couldn't, you couldn't breathe outside. There were some days that kids couldn't go to school. Um, they definitely had multiple days of warning where you couldn't exercise outside. It was it was really traumatic. And uh, I think, you know, we all are paying attention to what's going on with the climate and uh, the climate crisis and thinking about our role in it. But I don't think I had paused to spend enough time to really think about what I wanted my role to be in this, both for uh, myself, but also thinking about my kids and my and my family. And so I sat down and just started researching it and reading a lot about what was going on. There's this incredible book called Drawdown, which uh, I think many people have, have discovered. I, I, I found it because I was very interested in understanding, well, just tell me what the top five reasons are for this. And maybe what I'll do is try to work on a solution relating to one of those top five things. And as would not be surprising to, to anyone, probably, livestock consumption, meat consumption is a huge, huge contributor. It's about 30% of the cause of, of the climate crisis that, that we're facing. So I started thinking, you know, agriculture is a big industry here. It's a bit of a laggard industry. Uh, it hasn't transformed with technology and the kind of mindset we were talking about a little bit earlier as much as other industries and areas have. And I thought maybe there's something I can I can do here. So I started meeting with everyone that I could and uh, met a couple of people that uh, I ended up deciding to found a company with that is going to focus on developing alternative proteins that can be used for plant-based food. That's really cool. <laughs> Much to be done. It's still very, very early days. Uh, we're actually in uh, we're actually in the fundraising process right now which is, is the first for me. So I, I'm serving as the CEO of the company. And so this is the first for me going through the fundraising process as CEO. So another first to the list. Yeah, plenty of them this year. <laughs> yes, plenty. Well, Christy, thank you so much for taking the time for this. This is, I, I think this is going to be useful to so many people. And I'm so glad you're able to show some of those slides and, and we could really just sort of get into how someone can help themselves through what is a very difficult transition if you're not used to a growth organization, or even if you are used to a growth organization, just sort of norming that feeling. Uh, I've, I've had the same experience that, that you're describing. I've been in growth organizations a lot less than you have, but I've really found that I, I wouldn't have it any other way. This is exciting and challenging and I love it, but it it took me three days, like I said, <laughs> to get past that swamp, that initial swamp. And then I had that, the sort of the same sort of dip several times that I was there. And I kept, it was in my head though. I didn't have it on my desk, but it was in my head that, okay, this is normal. It's going to go down. It's going to come back up. It's going to be all right. And just knowing that was incredibly helpful to me. So again, thank you for that. And, and I know others would say the same. 
Absolutely. One of my, my favorite remarks in giving this talk was Annette Doskow, who I'm sure you remember from yeah, Flatirons. She said, sometimes I cycle through that on, on a monthly basis. I have that. Sometimes it's daily and sometimes it's hourly. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when you know you're in it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a pretty quick cycle. Well, again, thank you so much for taking the time. It was really wonderful speaking with you. And it's best, great to catch up with you, Sean. Yeah, and best of luck with the, with the plant-based food initiative. I, I can't wait to see what you do with that. Thank you, Sean. It's good to see you. Absolutely. All right, folks, that's all for now. Thanks for learning with us. Did you enjoy this podcast? Please consider leaving a rating or review wherever you found it. And please also recommend it to your friends. Thank you.